listening to Treasuring Scripture, a podcast of the weekly teaching ministry of Lebanon Baptist Church, Roswell, Georgia. To learn more about our ministry, please visit us at LebanonBaptist.org. This morning, let me invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Romans 3. Romans 3, we will be there in just a moment. Uh, Let me uh, begin by saying a big thank you to many of you and uh, numbers of you reached out to me this week. Uh, I asked last week again for your prayers that you would give them before the Lord for me, of course, for our staff. And I have sensed in many ways uh, those prayers and I appreciate it uh, immensely. Uh, do uh, ask today, uh, this afternoon, in fact, I'll fly to Mexico and visit. Many of you know our missionaries, Marsh and Joy Milliken. Marsh uh, is a member, he and Joy are members of our church. Uh, they have ministered there for years with New Tribes Missions. Now it's called Ethnos 360. And many of you know that uh, Marsh has been battling cancer, had emergency surgery in December. And so I just wanted to get some time and just be part of our church family, spending some time with him. So pray for, it's a quick trip, but uh, pray that it would be a special visit. I'll also be uh, getting some time with their daughter, Natalie, who we also support. She teaches at a missions uh, school there. And so trust, uh, you will pray for me as I... uh, uh, and your emissaries in many ways to them. I did uh, mention in our weekly update, if you get that each week, that if any of you wanted to send a card, uh, if you want to drop it off to me or just find me after the service and give it to me, uh, I'll make sure it gets to them this evening. So today, let me uh, direct your attention to Romans 3. I'm going to begin reading in verse 9, but our text this morning, we will focus in on verses 19 and 20, but in order to get there, uh, let us begin by reading, or I'll lead us in reading, uh, beginning in verse 9. It says this, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together we have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace, they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And then our text this morning. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Join me as I pray. Father, we today understand that we are in desperate need of your help. Our world is broken and we are broken. We affirm that fact. 
We know that you sent your son to be the savior of the world. And today, Father, as we are reminded of our condition, but we are also reminded of your grace, I ask that you would open hearts to the gospel. And those of us who have already tasted and seen that you are good and tasted of your grace, Lord, may that grace push us to live righteously in this age. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It was around 12 years ago I was asked to be in the court when a young father in my church in Milwaukee was going to be sentenced for a crime that he had committed. I was there to support him and to support his family, and it was an incredibly sober event. Those of you who have had to go through times like that or supported people going through times like that, you know those particular situations are, as I said, incredibly sobering. No doubt, if I had any inkling of what could have happened, if I would have had an inkling about it years before, this guy would have loved for me to have warned him, do this because this day is in your future. You know, the Bible talks about a judgment day that we will face. I won't go into all the ins and outs. The Bible talks about a great white throne judgment, a judgment that we believe is called the judgment seat of Christ. And there could be, for many of you, charges against you that are pending even now. We don't know when that judgment will happen for us. We don't know when we will die, but we must prepare before we die. Hebrews chapter 9 tells us this, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. This morning, as we come to this particular two verses in the book of Romans, Paul has been laying out his case against all humanity, everyone in this room. He's been doing it since Romans chapter 1, verse 18, where he says, the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Last week, if you were here, we heard the final witness come to the stand against all humanity. And it was none other than God himself. Paul begins to list out God's word, quoting what God has said about humanity. One of those statements was this, there is none righteous, no, not even one. And in many ways, last week, God rested his case. Today, we come to the verdict. In our text, what I want us to learn this morning, and I would love for it to grace you in many ways, you'll see the burden that you and I are under, but it'll point you to the grace of God. 
I want you to learn this morning, beware of your precarious position before God. Beware of your precarious position before God. And as I say that, and as I beware, I mean, I send the beware to you, I hope that you will take precautions this morning as I would have loved to have done with that young man many years ago. Our text confronts us with two main truths, and the first is this. You are guilty before God. Notice what it says in verse 19 of chapter 3. He says this. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says or it speaks to those who are under the law. Okay, notice the verse talks about now. As I said, Paul has been building his case up to this point. He says now, and then he says we know. Now that little phrase, we know, it's a phrase that's used five times in the book of Romans. When it's just a clear statement, we know this. We, we saw this phrase at the beginning of chapter 2, in Romans chapter 2, when he says this. He says in Romans 2 verse 2, and we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice these things. And many of you are familiar with later in Romans, one of the most famous ones. It's a, good, it's a really good one, not the one where you're just held guilty. It says, and we know that all things, what? Work together for good to them who love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. This is one of those we knows. He then refers to what the law says. He says, now we know that whatever the law says, now, As you stop here, you have to ask, when you see this word, the law, in Romans, you must consider what's going on in that vicinity, the context, to determine what Paul is referring to by the law. We do this in English. It's like the English word ball. Okay, the English word ball, it can refer to a circular object, a baseball, but it can also refer to a football that's not necessarily circular. It's a ball. It can, uh, it can refer to an event. I'm going to the Christmas ball. And it could also refer to a state of excitement. I'm having a ball. That one little word can be used in a lot of different phrases. And you and I are just really good as, as we're talking to different people and they use it. We immediately understand what they're talking about and we put it into context. But what is Paul saying here when he says the law? The law could be, he could be just talking about the Ten Commandments, okay? Those Ten Commands that all of us are familiar with. He could be talking about the entire 618 laws within the Mosaic Covenant. He could be talking about the Pentateuch, which is... Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Because that's often talked about as being the law. He could be talking about the entire Old Testament. the The Old Testament, you could say, or the Old Covenant. It's interesting, he had just referred to a series of quotations just previous to this to determine our guilt. And those quotations are all from Psalms and Isaiah. 
So what I believe is he's right here talking about the entirety kind of of the Old Testament. Paul is in effect saying this. Whatever the law says, it says to all of those Jews who were under the law. They grew up in it. They learned it. They studied it. And what did the law tell them? What had Paul just told them from the law? It told them that they're all sinners. Their character, as we learned last week, their character, their words, and their actions all declare it. This now leads Paul to a crowning statement of man's condition. Look what he says in ver- at the end of verse uh, 19. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Notice it starts with so that. This is, he's, he's coming to his conclusion here. And Paul now argues, what he's doing here is he's arguing from the greater to the less. And what I mean by that is since the most privileged group, the Jews, have failed under the law, if that is true for them, who had everything going for them, then that is true for all of us. And he brings down the verdict on all humanity, both Jews and Gentiles. And this is seen by the, in that second phrase, every mouth. He doesn't say every Jewish mouth. He says every mouth. And then he says this, the whole world. The Jews had the written Old Testament. They had the law. But if you remember earlier in Romans, those of you who didn't have the law and those of you who haven't ignored it all your life, the Bible says that that law has been written in your what? In your heart. You know. Basically, what he's doing is this. As he's arguing from the greater to the less, seeing that the best failed means that all of us have failed. Imagine there's tryouts for quarterback and Patrick Mahomes fails. Joe Burrow fails. Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen, all these guys, they, they, they're all trying out for quarterback and all of them are like, nope, you're not good enough. Okay, if I walked up next, if I'm thinking, I think I got this. I think they're going to pick me, okay? What Paul has been doing is this. If the most privileged group who had all of this, if they failed, guess what? You have too. Your spiritual leaders are all, you could say, have been rejected. I mean, think of the most moral people on this planet. Think of the Think of the ones that even our culture says, hey, these are the ones you can look to. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. We have all been rejected. We're all sinners. Now we see this. Every mouth will be stopped. Notice it says every mouth. It doesn't say every mouth will be stopped. It says every mouth may be stopped. And the idea is this. You will have no excuse at that point. This doesn't mean that some of you won't try. You'd say, will there actually be people 
who try to make an excuse that day? Well, you remember what Jesus said? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? So there are people who are going to know Jesus' name. They're going to have prophesied and said things, and they cast out demons in your name, and we've done many mighty works in your name, and then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. So you may offer something up, but guess what? It, you really have no excuse. No one will have a leg to stand on. Then Paul says that the whole world will be held accountable to God. And the Greek word there, accountable, if you were to able to uh, see it, under, underline that, it's a word that's only used once in your Bibles. It may appear when you read it that people are simply accountable and that maybe they're hoping when I get there, I'll be okay. But the word carries the idea of guilt. Everyone will be accountable and guilty before him. We will all stand guilty before God. And the creator's wrath is on all man. Paul condemned the Gentiles initially. And then all the Jews were like, yeah, look at them. And then he says, stop pointing your finger at them. You who are judging the others, remember, it's just like you. And then what do we like to do? We like to blame God. I, don't, I mean, you're the one who does this. You're unjust. You're this. And he continues to redirect it back on us. And he brings God to the stand as we saw last week and God's word is spoken and all of us are under sin and the verdict is clear. We're guilty. Now, no doubt all of you have had times when you got accused of something and you're like trying to explain yourself. It's like, if I could just explain myself, but I'll tell you, on that day, if you haven't gone through the only way to salvation, you will have no ability to make an excuse. I remember it was a number of years ago uh, when I was living in Wisconsin, I got some sort of ticket and I went to traffic court. Okay. And you could talk to the Get, a, get together with the prosecutor or whatever and just like plead uh, just in a room. And I can still remember I uh, had done something. And by the way, my record's clear. Okay, I don't think I've had any tickets. Okay, uh, knock, on, knock on metal uh, since I've been here. Uh, but I remember at that point when I'm standing in front of this little prosecutor and He's just saying, okay, tell me a little bit about yourself. And at that point, I had no, I couldn't remember the last time I had had a ticket. I says, I don't think I've had one in a long time. And then immediately, he has a sheet, a rap sheet on me. He says, what about this one in Goose Creek, South Carolina? I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you, every idle word that a man shall speak, he shall give an account of in the day of judgment. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. You are before him. 
The Bible says you are naked before the him to whom you have to do. So we are all guilty. But then Paul shows a second reason you need to beware of your precarious position. Because this, you alone can do nothing to clear your own name. You alone can do nothing to clear your name. That's what he says in verse 20. He says this, he says, for by works of the law, no human being, and the word there is no flesh, you and I are made of flesh, no human flesh will be justified in his sight. Now, that verse starts with four, and four at the outset of verse 20 expounds the purpose why you and I are in this position, because our own efforts are going to be fruitless. And here in the middle of the verse, we see the verdict, okay, let me read it again. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. When you see that little phrase, justified in his sight, that's what you should want. That's the verdict you want. You want to be justified in God's sight. Now, what does that mean? The word justified means this, to be declared righteous. And in his sight is what really matters. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks of you. It doesn't matter what you think about yourself. What matters is what God thinks of you. In fact, you go to the, remember the, in the Old Testament where it talks about all these kings of Israel? And you remember there's a little phrase that is often at the beginning of their story. And it sums up their whole life. It says, and this king did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, or this king did that which was evil. And then it uses that phrase, in the sight of the Lord. That's really what all that matters. What are you in the sight of the Lord? Are you declared righteous or are you condemned? Your default mode is guilt. That's your status quo. And that's what you all, you and I should live for. What am I in God's sight? And our text says this, that no human being is going to be justified by the works of the law, by trying to do their works, by seeking through their good deeds in obedience to God to get them into heaven. If you think by your own moral performance that you can get one leg into heaven, you are sadly mistaken. No flesh will be made righteous by your own works of the law. And many Jews thought that since they had the law, they had their get out of hell card. I got this card. Some of you may think I come to church regularly or I, I, I'm religious, or I read my Bible every once in a while, or I've given lots of money to the church. Those righteous deeds will do nothing. And here, let me confront for just a moment the damning falsehood of that heavenly pay scale. If you think, hey, if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, then I'm gonna get in, I'll be okay. Well, Let me offer to you Isaiah 64 where it says this, for we all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. 
So let's just take all your righteous deeds. You think they're in the right scale? Guess what? They're like polluted garments. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. In fact, if you're thinking that you can pay for eternal life, you know what that is? Your own self? It's an insult. Do you remember the man in the book of Acts by the name of Simon the sorcerer? Simon, at one point, okay, he saw God working and he saw this like gift of God and as a result, the Holy Spirit would come and fill people. And so he comes and basically, and I'm not gonna go into all the story, he comes and offers to Simon, Peter, so these two Simons confront each other. Simon Peter with Simon the sorcerer. And he offers to kind of pay for the gift of God. He says this. He says, but Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. Basically, he says this, when he's offering his money, Peter responds, to hell with you and your money. If you think you can pay for God's gift with what you do, you know what? It, it's, it's an insult. Many of you, uh, maybe I've told you this story. When I was in seventh grade, I was playing basketball on my carport, and my second grade sister was riding down our driveway, and there was a big hill on one side, and she was hit by a car. Thankfully, and I'm getting, cutting right to the chase, but she survived and, and everything was good, but it didn't look like that for two weeks. But just imagine this. Imagine the driver after he hit my, let's say that he hit my sister and he killed her. And then our family's down there and all of a sudden he says, oh, I'm so sorry. Hey, what can I pay you for this? Can I, I mean, I got a lot of money. What can I pay you for this? How would that go over? That would be a what? One of the worst insults. And I'll tell you this, if you get to heaven and you sit there and you think, hey, hey, this is what I got. It's an insult to your God. Because what it is, is what he has offered to you is a gift I mean, a stupid analogy is imagine that I give you a car, a brand new car out of, out of the kindness I know you need a car. And, and so I give you this brand new car and then you say, oh, you know what? You don't have to do that. You know what? Here, let me, let me help. And then you hand me a $5 bill. Hey, I got, let me, let me help with that. That's an insult. And I'll tell you, what God has done is he sent his only son for you. He died on a cross for you, and he offers your salvation by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. And some of you, 
even at this moment, are insulting God, thinking, I'm going to earn my way. Paul now explains that the law could do nothing to accomplish justification. Doing these deeds weren't going to get you there. In fact, he ends with this. He says this, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And here, what I believe, context, the law is probably being understood as kind of the mosaic law with all of its moral demands and how the law could do nothing and had no power to justify a person because of our sin. It was never given, even in the Old Testament, it was never given as a means of saving a person, but the law was given to show them that they needed a savior and that they needed to look to God. And it was through the law that people came to know that I'm I'm a lawbreaker. It shows us we need a savior because we're sinners. It shows us our wrongdoing. It was never meant to be a saving instrument. It's almost as if some were looking at the law as their parachute to save them from death. Hey, things are going really bad. Hey, I'm going to use my parachute, the law, and if I can just do all these things, that's going to save me. That's going to rescue me. But you know what the law and, and, and did? They're, they were trusting in that. However, when they pulled the cord on the law, it really was an anvil. Okay, now all of you are starting to think of Roadrunner cartoons, Okay. But if you think the law will save you and by doing these things and you try to rely on it, what you'll realize is this, you can never do enough and that anvil will bring you quicker. I mean, I don't know all the different physics with that, okay? Maybe not. You probably weigh more than the anvil, some of you. Okay, so uh, you're being driven quickly toward the ground. But imagine on that anvil, Engraved on it was this. Call on Jesus Christ. He can save you. And all through the law, and it was good, was all these pointing of fingers to Christ, to Christ. All these pointing to him. In fact, I was just, uh, I've been reading through the book of Exodus right now. And all these ceremonial laws and you read all of these things and how they wanted the tabernacle to be built and how these priests had to wear certain things, all of them in many ways were symbolic and pointed you to the great high priest, Jesus Christ, who would one day be our sinless substitute. And the law was to point us to him. So this morning, where are we at? So today, behold your precarious position before God. You are all guilty and you can do nothing on your own to save yourself. But can I just end there? Okay. Can I just, all right. Be warmed and filled. Okay. You're guilty. You're in a precarious situation. You can do nothing to save yourself. Uh, I can't do that. Remember when we were kids? I mean, it doesn't happen as much anymore because uh, we just are used to it. But you know when you watch a show and you're watching this show and all of a sudden at the end of the show it says, to be continued. And you're like, no. 
I've got to wait a week. I mean, all of us love now. You can just like get it all done in a night. Okay, just stay up late. Then you have to wait for the next season. Okay. But in Romans, okay, remember this. Okay, now, I can't just leave you hanging with that. Why? Because death is pending. And some of you may not be here next week. We don't know. The book of Romans, when they read it, they didn't just read two verses at a time, okay? They read the whole book. But I'm not going to be able to preach through the whole book, and all of you are glad I'm not having to do that. So let me here, right at the end, offer you an appetizer. But you can make the appetizer your meal, okay? Jesus Christ was the answer. And we will see it next week, but I want you to see it this week as well. You must abandon all of your own righteousness and place your faith in another. The Apostle Paul understood this. He was one who lived under the law. In fact, listen to what he says in reference to this. He says, all the things that I had, my gain, I grew up in a great I had a great pedigree. I obeyed all these commandments. I grew up in Israel, had all of the things that he was talking about in, Rome, in, in the book of Romans. But he says this, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, which when he became a follower of Jesus, he he dealt with lots of trials then. But then he says this, but I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. Because if you show up at heaven with your own righteousness, you are in trouble. But I want to be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes through law-keeping, but that comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God, one that he credits to your account, that depends on faith. You know what you have to do? You have to turn to another, and that's why Jesus is the crowning jewel of all creation. For in him is all the fullness. You turn from your sin, you turn from your own performance, and you turn to Christ and believe on him. And the Bible says this, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Shall be saved. So if you're here today and you've never done that, you can do it today. Take the appetizer and make it your meal, okay? But those of you in this room, you need, some of you would say, oh, Pastor Brian was preaching to people who were unsaved today. They need that. I'm glad they got it. Let's hope they get saved. But you know what? You and I need to revisit this. It's because of this grace. And as you learn to swim in this grace and understand this grace, it's the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men. And what does it do? It teaches us. And those of you who are believers, the more you understand and swim in that grace, it teaches you how to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. This is why you ought not to go back to those sins that you were doing this past week. 
And you ought to live righteously for him because he died for you and your life should now be at following him and that grace. And when you stumble, you keep going back to him. So allow that grace to enrapture you this morning. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Treasuring Scripture. It's our desire that every Christian treasure God's word in their heart. To follow our podcast, please hit the subscribe button. If you're interested in learning more about our church, please visit LebanonBaptist.org.